So, in case if you didn't notice the large introduction of Esther, there it is. Uh, doing the book of Esther. And we've talked about a few chapters so far. Unfortunately, I'll have to erase the huge introduction, Esther. We came up with a few different characters. We talked about, of course, Esther. We talked about Queen Vashti, as she was kicked out by the king for not for refusing to show up at his invitation. <laughs> and we're gonna leave the or pick up the story. Last week we started with uh, a new man named Haman, okay? And Haman was a bad dude, right? Haman had some real issues, and he is one of the characters that we have seen that it brings in evil into the story, okay? Mordecai is the uncle of Esther, or really like a cousin of Esther, but we'll call him kind of an uncle. He was the adoptive dad of Esther, and Esther enters the beauty contest and becomes queen, okay, through this beauty contest. Now, if you remember, it wasn't exactly like she said, ooh, me, me, I want to become part of this beauty contest. People were just taken, okay? They went across the kingdom and said, we're going to take all the beautiful girls and give them to the king. End of story. There's no question. And they sent officers to do that, okay? Military officers to go take the nicest looking ladies across the whole kingdom and they just took them okay and they were never to return to their homes ever again and many of them probably never to see any of their family ever again okay so it wasn't a kind or nice start to the book um but we will see that all throughout this god's hand has been weaving and working and doing things each and every part of the chapter all right so there were times where I have been caught unaware with things, all right? I wasn't really ready for things. I remember, and most of the time it tends to be when I'm in nature, because you don't know exactly what's going on, and you're trying to listen very intently. One time I was out deer hunting, sitting up in my stand, and I had gone out very, very early that morning. And I was sitting, just waiting, just cooling down from the walk-in, and it was the darkest I think I've ever sat in that tree stand. So I was probably 12 or 15 feet up in the air, okay, sitting and waiting for it to get light. And as you look at the darkness, you stare down and you think you start to see things in, in the darkness. And you're like, I think that's a branch, maybe. And then you kind of open your eyes and close them again, you're like, Nah, that's way too dark. I don't think that is a branch. So it was that dark that night, no moonlight, nothing out there. And I was sitting and watching, and all of a sudden I see something move on the ground. Maybe a foot off the ground, maybe two feet off the ground. But when you have no reference for how far away it is or how close it is to the ground, because you can't see the ground, it's just all black everywhere. When you have no reference, it's tough to tell. But it sort of looked like a bird, and I knew I was 12 or 15 feet in the air. 
and it was down below me somewhere on the ground. So I was watching it, and it looked, I guess, sort of like a creamy whitish color. And I could see it kind of hop up and, and seemingly move closer and hop up. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, I think that's a bird, and it flew right up at my head, okay? And as it flew <laughs> at my head, I was a little startled in the dark because it was not what I was expecting. And what I believe it to be, although I never saw it totally in the light, was something called a sawwheat owl, okay? And a sawwheat owl is one of the smallest owls that we have around here. He's probably about that big, okay, that tall when he stands, and his wings are about that tall. So when it came, this white thing, creamish color thing, sort of was down there hopping around, I'm like, oh yeah, that could be, I don't know, something. I didn't know if it was, I didn't know what it was until, oh, that's kind of a bird, and there it was, right at my head, okay? Was not expecting it to fly at my head. Now, obviously, owls can see in the dark, right? which is why they're out at night. And it's the only reason I know that it must have been an owl because it was way too dark at this point for any other bird to be up and moving around. You just don't see them. Normally, most other birds are roosting when the owls are up going around and moving around, okay? So, scared me a little bit, took me off my guard. I wasn't really prepared for it to fly at my head. And I think I either closed my eyes or kind of covered my head thinking, is this thing going to just hit me? Does it, is it going after me? Does it see me? I don't know. I don't know what it does. So it was a little bit of a thing that took me off guard. Well, there was another hunting season that I went out. It was my very first deer hunting season. And I went out and I was all charged up because I was going to get a deer. And... I went the very first morning, got up in my stand, and sat there. And my father was out beyond where I could see. I was 16 years old, okay? So I was not allowed to be hunting alone in the woods, but I could be hunting with somebody nearby. So he was out, and all of a sudden I hear, bang, bang! And then one or two more shots, and there was a a huge crash coming through the woods right at me, came over and ran and stepped right next to me. Well, I had never seen, it was a huge buck. My very first morning out. And I was shaking all over the place, you know, trying to shoot at it, but I don't think I hit it a single time. Well, it had already been shot by my father. It went over and fell down dead, okay, <laughs> somewhere else. And he got those, that and a doe that was with it. And so he had filled his deer tags. And so he had to come out and sit with me the entire rest of the deer season. Every single moment I was out because I was too young to be out on my own. So he came out and we sat the rest of the day. That was like 7.30 the first morning when I was open. All, all done. He was done. So he sat that whole day, and he sat the next day, and he sat every evening when he came home for work, one after another, after another, after another, after another days. And every single day for three weeks, almost, we sat 
and did not see a single deer the rest of the time. And we tried this place and that place. He's like, and this place will be good. So finally we got to the very last night. And somewhere I had put my, I was sick and tired of hunting, okay? I did not want to go out. And it was the last night of deer season. Not going to do this. I don't want to go out anymore. And I had somehow put my bullets away where I could not find them. And so I'm like, I can't even find my bullets. I don't even want to go out. And he's like, you're going to take my gun and we're going to go out. It's the last night and you're going to go out. I'm like, yeah, okay. So I've sat for three weeks and I have not seen a movement, not crunching, not nothing for the rest of the three weeks. Nothing. So I get up in the tree that I'd sat many times, sat there, and it's just starting to get dark. And I said to myself, see, I told you what a waste of time. I could have been home, probably eating something, relaxing, watching TV. But instead, I am up here in this tree, sitting and getting cold, and it was snowy out and everything. So I was sitting on a branch, and my feet were on a branch below me. That was it, just on two branches up in the air quite high and so I got the gun and I started to stand up and there were three deer right standing below me and I'm right like this trying to teeter on the branch <laughs> so like, what do I do right now it was only by God's grace that I was able to actually sit back down without them noticing me and aim the gun and actually hit one <laughs> okay surprised. I was shocked because I had sat there all along and you don't know hours and hours and hours you sit out there and it's like oh what a waste of my time after a while because you go out and everybody says did you see anything? Did you get anything? No. <laughs> and when you answer that question every single night all the way through it gets a little discouraging. So the last thing I thought was that actually I was going to see something on that last few moments of that evening. All right, Taken by surprise, but luckily I was actually in the tree with a gun at the time, so the opportunity did not pass me by. Okay, So this is what we're going to see today is an opportunity. An opportunity that had to be worked up to, the situation had to come out, but the opportunity was going to show itself up. All right, in Esther chapter number four, Esther chapter four, as we start the story or pick up the story, you remember when we left the story off, Haman and the king were doing something together. Remember what it was? They were celebrating. How were they celebrating? Having a toast, a drink, to something. Do you remember what it was? The new law. The new law. Haman was an angry man. And he was mostly angry because Mordecai did not bow down to him. And so instead of saying, get Mordecai, he said, wipe out the entire, not just the family of Mordecai, wipe out his entire race. Take out his race. 
He's a Jew. Kill them all. And so the king was like, oh, yeah, we'll kind of follow it along with it. And I don't know. The king didn't seem to have a very clear mind in his decision-making oftentimes. He just sort of listened to whatever the closest guy to him said at the time. So he said, okay, we're going to go kill all the Jews. Oh, yeah, it's going to be the greatest. And then, and then there won't be a problem with them anymore. Here, let's toast to that. And there's Haman, who has wormed his way to the top. He is only second in command, only to the king. All right? He is his closest advisor. And the king gave him his own signet ring, which meant that he could put, seal a law with a little emblem that was on it. He could seal it in wax saying, this is from the king. All right? And... Did he created this law? He kind of had the king bamboozled. All right, he had him thinking he was doing the right thing, I guess. And what he didn't realize is there's a lot of consequences to what he was going to do. All right, so let's pick up the story, chapter number four, verses one through three, please. When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth with ashes and went out in the midst of the city and cried with a loud bitter cry. And came to Edom before the king's gate, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And, and, and in every province, province whither so, so, the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sack clothes and ashes. Okay, so they are here, the entire nation of Jews, anybody who has stayed in the kingdom. Now remember, here's an important thing to remember. Way back when, here's my famous map, okay? And here's the perfect Greece, uh, peninsula of Greece, okay? And the boot of Italy, isn't that nice? It's a different size than normal, but. <clears throat> and then the Tigris and Euphrates River, by the way, this is all drawn to scale perfectly. Uh, here is the map of the Middle East. And somewhere down around here was this kingdom of Babylon. Okay, And originally, Babylon came in, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, came in and stole people from Israel. Stole generations of people. Took them away. And didn't just come once, but came again and again and keep, kept stripping the nation of all the people he couldn't find the first time, or the second time, or the third time, okay? He took everybody out that he could. And when the Medes and the Persians came and took over Babylon, the city of Babylon, we've told that story many times, how they marched under the city gates, they diverted the river, and marched under the city gates, and took it over. The Medes and the Persians took it over, and eventually... One of the kings that was a little more favorable towards the Jews released the Jews to go back to their land and said, you can go back and rebuild the temple and rebuild your homes and the city wall. Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the wall. Ezra goes back with, who was it, Zerubbabel and rebuilds the, uh, the temple. 
okay? And then they rebuild their homes, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they're allowed, many of them, and most of them, anybody who wants to go back. Well, Mordecai and Esther and a whole bunch of Jewish people don't go back. They stay. To be fair, it's been multiple generations. These people have never been born or raised or ever set foot in their home country of Israel. They have always lived in captivity or some form of it. Okay? So when many of them got the chance to go back, or most of them, some of them chose to stay. Those Jews were now in peril. Should they have chosen to go back? Maybe. Probably. Was it their fathers and grandfathers who cho chose not to go back? Yeah, probably. So, because of them not quite doing maybe what God's whole plan was, here they are now, and the, the nation of Jews is in peril. And, really, I told you that... Um, the Medes, you remember King Ahasuerus? Ahasuerus, okay. Ahasuerus came and, and he tried to attack Greece in the Battle of Thermopylae. He tried to take it over. Well, he lost. Okay. But he still really, this Israel was a province. And so was everything else all around, really. He, he owned almost everything as far as the kingdom goes. So even if they went back to their land, they were still under the rule of this king of Persia. All right? But they could have probably gone back and been a little more free, maybe a little further away from the center of the city. Esther still may have been taken. You don't know. But needless to say, all of the Jews now had the ability to be killed without consequence. Their neighbor could come out and say, I don't like them. I'm going to kill them. All right? And I'm going to take their stuff. All right? So I'm, I'm just going to wipe them out. So they were afraid and in mourning across the whole nation because this decree came out. Now here's Esther sitting in the palace in her very own house this rule was written. And she doesn't seem to know a thing about it. She has no idea what's really going on. So she hears from her servants, your uncle Mordecai, okay, Mordecai is out and he is in sackcloth and ashes, okay? And sackcloth and ashes was a symbol that they are very sorrowful. And so the nation is full of these people, and they literally put on this burlap type of outfit, okay, which was very simple and very boring and very plain, and they go in ashes and cover themselves with ashes to say, we feel like dirt. I mean, that's literally what they're trying to say. We feel like dirt, like I'm a worm crawling around in the dirt because it's, it's the worst feeling. Something terrible has happened. Esther sees that, and she's got a response to it. All right, let's pick up on uh, verse number four, please. Chapter four, verse four. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told it her, then was the queen in 
Okay, they come and they say, you should see Mordecai. He's out in the middle of the city streets. He's rolling around in the ashes. He looks terrible. Something must be really wrong. And Esther's solution is this. Well, send him some new pretty clothes. Huh? <laughs> That's kind of weird. Clearly, she did not know what was happening, right? She did not, was not aware of what had been written into law. And so she says, hey, whatever it is, we'll fix this. Put on some nice clothes. Don't show people that you're all sad. Just go do this. And Mordecai says, take them back. I don't want that. This is not going to fix anything. So here she is already. The very first thing that she's really doing as queen, her act of as queen not so good. She just doesn't understand what's going on. But, but Mordecai and her are about to have a conversation through their servants. Verses 5 through 9, please. Then called Esther Borhatch, one of the king's chamberlains, chamberlains, whom he had appointed to attend upon her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was and why it was. Mm -hmm. So attached by forth to Mordecai unto the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. And Mordecai told him of all that had happened, and of the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasuries for the Jews to destroy them. Also, he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to, sh to shew it unto Esther and to declare it unto her, and to charge her that she should go into unto unto the king and make supplication unto him and to make request before him and for her people. And and Hitach came and told Esther the words of the Alright, so here it is. Here's the first exchange after the hey put on the nice clothes. No, you have no idea. Send her the law. So he finds a copy of the law gives it back to her, sends it right back to Esther, and says, Haman, the guy right under your nose that's going through and, and spends all the time with the king, all right, he has written this law, and we are in big trouble. He has promised to pay money into the king's treasury for every Jew that's killed. So the king says, hey, this is win-win for me. Man, I may get more money every time I do this. And I make out everything that happens here. So have at it. Wipe them all out. Okay? The more that is paid into the king's treasury, the less the people have to pay. All right? So Haman has a very, very bad way that he is going to try to snake his way in. Right? He was just a weasel, is all he is. He is really trying to just sneak his way in and, and make his will happen. All right? So tell her what is happening. Verse 10 through 12, please. And Esther spoke unto Hitach and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king in the airport who is not called. There is one law that is put into that, except such to whom the king shall hold 
out of the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king of these thirty days. All right. And so, his, her answer back is, you just don't walk up to the king. Don't you remember what happened to Queen Vashti? When he says come, you come. When he says go, you go. But you don't come up and demand something from this king. He is not a kind man. Something to think about. Esther was really had not much choice in this whole matter. Okay? But she decided to do the very best with what she had, winning this contest and seeing what God would do. Right? Just saying it's where God's leading. But you don't just walk up to the king and do this. In fact, anytime the king feels like he's been intruded upon, he it's already a law. There's already people waiting by anybody who pops into the king's presence without being asked. They just take them away and execute them. It's already done. It's not like the king has to say, go and execute her. It's already made as a law to do that. So unless if he chooses to say, oh, I, I like that one, or I want to see that one, so if he's in the middle of something, thinking about something, talking with somebody else, and he feels disturbed, all right, remember, he threw away his last queen because she wouldn't come to him and she embarrassed him. It's really all it was. She, he got embarrassed, and so she, he banished her forever. All right, so what's any difference with Esther? You don't know, and that's where... She doesn't really know what's going on. She doesn't really want to go. All right? Verse number 13 and 14. This is Mordecai's response. All right? So you don't know. Don't think, okay? Don't think, Esther, that you are safe. Even in the king's house. You just told me how the last queen was taken out. The king's got a whole harem of wives. He can pick whoever he wants. All right? Don't think you're safe from Haman. He finds out you're a Jew, and he can claim that you're a traitor. If that king is listening to Haman as much as it seems that he is, you won't be safe either. So be aware what you choose. Mordecai says to Esther, be aware, you are not necessarily safe. And here is one more thing to think about. If you don't stand, God will bring someone else.
That's a sobering thought to think of that. As you go and you find out the talents and the skills and the abilities that you have, and you start to use them for God. If you all of a sudden get a bee in your bonnet somewhere along the line, right, and say, well, I'm not going to do this, and I don't want to do that anymore. You get a little bit snobby about something or thinking you're better than somebody else. Remember, God doesn't need you. He chooses to use you. He can use anybody else he wants. He can choose somebody else out. So he may have brought Esther to that very point where she can be chosen and has the opportunity to do something. And if that day she said, I just can't do it. I'm afraid to do it. That opportunity may have come and gone. And this whole book may never have been written. Or maybe it would have been written as a, here's what you don't do. You don't do what Esther did. She got up to the edge. She went. She was ready. She was prepared. But then she missed the target. She was caught unaware. And I think that's really what happened to Esther. She was just sort of floating along in life. These things happened to her. All of a sudden she finds herself there as queen. And now she's thinking, well, I guess I kind of got it on easy street for a while. No, no. This is your choice. You may live and you may die. But you've got to decide what you're going to do. Someone else will step in if you don't. Someone else will save the Jewish people if you don't. He said, but think about this. Think about this. Be very careful. You might exist for this very purpose. This might be what God created you to do. He may have thought of you way back when and put her in this book in, in this time, okay, in this time frame when this book was written and said, you are made for this day. How many of you have really enjoyed this COVID bit? 2020. Been the best year of your life, anybody? <laughs> Maybe not the best, okay? Have you missed out on a few things that you wish you could have done? Okay. Has it maybe not been quite in your control? But guess what? God knew and understood you would be who you are, where you are now. 2020. When he created you, when he put his plan together for you, you were created for this time. You're not too early. You're not too late. You are who you are at the very age that you belong here. God did not make a mistake. So the question is, are you going to get caught unprepared? Are you ready for what lies ahead for you? Are you ready to have your purpose be shown to you?
your skills, your talents, your abilities. They're all good things. But when the time comes when God says, here it is, here's the day of decision for you. Will you have trained, done the things you're supposed to do, been prepared, or not? All right? Will you be sitting in a tree with a gun ready to shoot it right, when the time comes? Or will you miss the opportunity because, eh, I don't really feel like it. That's where Esther was. There is no mistake where she is. And there is no mistake where you are what you're doing, the people you know, the family you were raised in, the school you go to, whether you go two days a week or five days a week or one day a week or no days a week, whatever it is, there is no mistake about it. So what are you going to do with it? That's the question. You have to decide, make up your mind and say, I'm going to do and be ready for whatever opportunity God puts in front of me. Whatever it is. All right? And so what does Esther finish off with in verse number 15? Then Esther bade them return to Mordecai this answer. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for, ye, for me. And neither eat nor drink three days, night nor day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so I will go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. So she decides, well, I guess I don't know the outcome of my life. I don't know what will happen. But I have to go out swinging if I'm going to go at all. I have to be ready. I have to be prepared. And I'm going to say whatever the consequence if I perish or if I die, then I die. You say, well, that's a pretty pretty tough thing to, to say, right? I'm not ready to die. And I'm not saying that what God is going to put in front of you is that or to that level. But God will put decisions in front of you this very year in your life that you'll decide that will create what the rest of your life is about. You will make decisions. What is important to you? What is going to be uh, coming up next in your life? Are you preparing or are you just sitting back on and relaxing? Are you creating the ability so that the day that God says, that's what you're born for, that you're ready or will you miss the target? Will you be caught unaware? Will you not even know that God is working? Understand God is always working. That's the big message of Esther from beginning to end. All this story happens, and yet God is in the midst of everything. Regardless of the country they're in, regardless of the people that it involves, God has put and woven together the plans of these people's lives to create his will. He has done the very same thing here. You are all here today on purpose. All right? You are all here today for a reason. 
and you are all created for a reason, you will go from this place and you will have to decide what you're going to do. If you can make a stand like Esther, then God will use you in great ways. And if you don't, if you're caught on unprepared and unready, caught off guard, then you may never get to see what God has for you in your life. Next week, we're going to see Haman come back on the story and see what happens when evil is uh, confronted with Esther's